This is Kateri Zuni with Generation Justice, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with New Mexico's Secretary of State, Maggie Toulouse Oliver. Madam Secretary, welcome to Generation Justice. Kateri, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be on the show today and to talk about the general election coming up. Thank you. So please, let's start with hearing a little more about yourself. Sure. Well, I'm from New Mexico. I uh, moved to New Mexico to Albuquerque when I was about three years old um, and grew up there, went to public school, APS public schools, graduated from Highland High School. Um, and I think just have been very fortunate and blessed to be a product of New Mexico. Um, I decided to stay in New Mexico to go to college and I was always very interested in politics and government growing up and, and I chose uh, to pursue a degree in political science and Spanish at UNM. I worked my way through college. I had my first child when I was in college, uh, so it took me a little bit longer to finish my bachelor's. And then I uh, went on to a master's degree in political science, thinking I was gonna be a political science professor, um, which still may happen. And I'll get to that in a minute, but to make a long story short, um, public service was calling me from a young age uh, and I threw my hat in the ring to be appointed to the county clerk position in Bernalillo County because I care very deeply about democracy in our elections and have been really fortunate to serve in a role overseeing or running elections in New Mexico for the last almost 14 years now and just continue to bring the passion um, that I have uh, every day to my job to make sure that that voters uh, can have their voices heard in our democracy. Uh, and then just the last thing I'll add, as I alluded to, I actually am returning back to my PhD program in political science this fall. I'm a UNM student starting this fall uh, to hopefully finish that PhD uh, alongside my work in the Secretary of State's office. So we'll see where that goes. <laughs> ah, thank you so much for sharing that. Go Lobos, right? You go Lobos. <laughs> That's awesome. To get started, Madam Secretary, I'd like for you to just give us, or give you rather, the opportunity to help us understand the moment that we're in, in terms of this 2020 election? Well, it's it's certainly a moment unlike any other in our nation's history. Uh, it's a moment unlike any other I've ever experienced running elections and that pretty much every colleague, uh, whether they've been running elections for a year or 30 years, uh, can remember um, a presidential election always presents challenges. And I think the foremost challenge that we see um, on the front of elections right now has to do with the information uh, that people are accessing and consuming around not just the candidates and their positions uh, and, and what their motivations are, but around the functioning of our elections. There has been so much intentionally or unintentionally done to undermine the public's trust in government and in the election process. And so as election officials, not only are we now uh, trying to run those elections with the utmost integrity and fairness and accessibility, but we're also doing everything we can to make sure uh, that voters understand how the process works and are able to trust it enough uh, to entrust us with their very important constitutional right to vote. Thank you so much for addressing that. I'd like to talk about that narrative that's around us and around this election right now, particularly as we hear from the Trump administration, the idea that voting by mail is somehow going to lead to voter fraud. Can you address that? Well, first of all, I think it's 
incredibly unfortunate that elections in general and the way that we run elections have uh, become such a, a partisan and polarizing issue. Um, this is an area of governance and government that should really be sacrosanct uh, for both parties, right? We should really start to move in a direction. And, and one of the things that I'm focused on um, as I'm currently the president of our National Association of Secretaries of State is, is seeing what we can do collectively to try to move um, the narrative around elections out of the toxic partisan rhetoric uh, that it's currently in. Um, unfortunately, there, there have been some comments made by the president that um, we know people around the country are listening to and taking to heart, um, that there's something inherently untrustworthy about voting by mail. And the irony is that, of course, voting by mail has been around since the dawn of our democracy. Um, people have put their ballots through the United States Postal Service since they became an entity, especially our uh, overseas and military voters have been almost 100% reliant on the mail until recent times to cast a ballot. Don't take my word for it. You can go just Google uh, academic studies of voter fraud and you will find uh, nonpartisan sources that show that voter fraud in general is extremely rare. Um, the reason for this is that voter fraud is what we call a very low reward, high risk type of crime. In almost every state, including New Mexico, it's a felony to commit any kind of voter fraud. Uh, and the reward is very low because if you uh, expose yourself to the penalty of a felony, right, going to jail, losing your own right to vote, for the sake of casting one ballot, the odds of which will affect the outcome of any given election, right? That's really unlikely. So in general, voting by mail uh, is very safe and very secure and very uh, at very low risk for voter fraud. But in general, uh, we just do not see widespread voter fraud around the country. And I just want voters to know that if they choose to vote by mail this election, their vote is going to be safe uh, and we have lots of tools in place to make sure that it gets counted and counted accurately. Along with that narrative, there may also be some misunderstanding with regard to the definitions of voter fraud versus voter suppression. How can you characterize that or explain that for us? So voter fraud is typically um, a term that we use when we think of individuals who are trying to cast a ballot uh, for another person in another person's name, you know, with or without that other person's knowledge. Anytime you are uh, essentially impersonating another voter, whether you are uh, registering to vote, um, you know, under a, a false name, whether you are asking for an absentee ballot for that person, whether you're going in person to a polling place to say, oh, I am Maggie Toulouse Oliver, I'm here to cast my ballot. Those are all forms of voter fraud. Um, that would be, you know, again, a, a, a felony we can and do find out when people try to do this and we prosecute them. We have a history of doing that. I had a history of that at the county level. I have a history of that at the state level. Because again, you know, it, it's, it's such a violation of an individual's sacrosanct right to vote. Now, voter suppression is something that we typically think of as being done externally. Uh, voter suppression is when there are forces at work that are trying to keep people from voting. And sometimes that's administrative. So sometimes you see it in the form of state laws or uh, local election rules around 
for example, not putting enough polling places in areas for voters uh, so that they have to stand in very long lines and, and maybe won't have the time to stand in line and vote, making it um, difficult for them to cast a ballot by mail, uh, requiring a certain kind of ID that's very difficult to get. Those types of things are voter suppression. And I would argue that a lot of the misinformation that we see um, in the rhetoric these days around whether or not voting is safe, whether or not you can trust the voting process, that in itself is a form of voter suppression as well because it goes to the psychology and to trying to affect an individual's decision about whether or not they should uh, try to go out and cast a ballot. Great. Thank you so much for clearing that for us. Given the moment that we're in and the fact that there are still so many unknowns with regard to COVID and even just regular flu season in the fall, not to mention the apparent dismantling of our U.S. Postal Service as it is. What are some ways New Mexico's voting process needs to pivot or be flexible in order to accommodate this year's election? That's such a good question because one thing we did discover uh, as we were getting ready for the primary election here was that uh, our law is not flexible enough for us to be able to pivot in the way that we felt we really wanted to, uh, to make sure that we had a, a very safe vote count. Now, we were able to do a lot to accommodate you know, a massive influx in vote by mail to make it easier for voters to vote by mail to protect our in-person polling places so that individuals um, could safely go in person to cast a ballot. That was in large part because really of Herculean efforts on the part of our county clerks and their staff and poll workers. We received $4 million in additional uh, election funding from Congress that we spent the vast majority of to make sure we could do for the primary. So for the general, we knew we had one bite at the apple um, to make some needed flexibility changes in our state laws. And working together with the legislature, we passed a bill, Senate Bill 4, during the special session this summer that that does build in some of that flexibility. Uh, for example, it gives county clerks the authority to go ahead and mail out those absentee ballot applications right off the bat and for the state to pay for that so they don't have to build it into their budgets. Um, it continues a lot of the practices that we developed during the primary election um, in order to keep those polling places safe. And then uh, another really important factor is that we had really um, depressed voter turnout, lower voter turnout among our uh, tribal voters because a lot of those communities were locked down, voters and outside individuals could not come onto the Pueblos or tribal lands. And we, as a result, a lot of polling locations were either closed or moved entirely off the tribal lands, making it really difficult for those voters to vote because many of them don't have reliable mail service. So we built a protection into the bill this summer to allow those polling locations to remain open exclusively for the voters in those communities um, so that they're not risking having outsiders come into the community and bringing COVID with them, but still allowing them a safe opportunity to vote. So these are just a few of the examples of things that we've done to try to make it easier. Uh, but moving forward, we, we feel strongly that we need to build some more long-term plans for flexibility in elections when and if these types of crises do occur. What we do need to do is work on continuing to build our infrastructure to expand voting by mail. 
Um, many of our county clerks were actually quite frankly overwhelmed by the amount of vote by mail ballots that came in during the primary. And they are putting together a lot of plans to be able to address the volume and get it counted quickly and accurately um, in time for the general. But we need more infrastructure. We need to um, build, you know, actually use uh, additional automation and computer software and things like that to make it not only easier for our county clerks to process, but for the voter uh, to be able to have all the information they need uh, in, in order to safely and securely vote that ballot through the mail. Okay, thank you. And can you clarify for us how New Mexico's absentee ballots work? Sure. So first of all, it's important to note that you do have to ask for one. And the way that you ask for an absentee ballot or a ballot to be mailed to you is that you have to fill out an application. Um, you can, uh, as I mentioned, do that online if you have a current or expired New Mexico driver's license or state ID. Um, and that is through our nmvote.org portal. Or you can fill out a paper form. Um, and in order to get one of those, uh, we actually have a link on our website on that same nmvote.org portal to print and download one, or you can just call your county clerk uh, and ask them to send one to you in the mail and you fill it out and mail it back to them. So that's the first step is that you have to request it. Um, once that request has been received back, again, using the, our nmvote.org portal, you can actually track it so you can see if that application has been received. Clerks will begin mailing those ballots starting on October 6th. So um, it goes out in the mail on the 6th. The Postal Service says, uh, wait, you know, give it about a week to arrive from the day that it's put in the mail. You'll be able now uh, for this general election to be able to see exactly where it is using that portal uh, in the mail system, whether it's, uh, you know, left the Albuquerque main plant, if it's, you know, at your local post office, uh, if it's out for delivery, et cetera. And then of course the same on the way back. Once you have received your ballot, follow all the directions that are included with the ballot, send it back and you can track your ballot as it goes back to the county clerk to be counted. Great, thank you. That I can see offers a lot of reassurance to voters in this year, especially. Can you tell us a little bit about how your office is planning or is already working to protect and simplify voting in our rural communities in New Mexico who often already experience things like postal service delays and even harsh weather conditions? Yeah. So uh, the first thing that I would say is if you are a, a voter in a rural community or anywhere in the state that wants to vote by mail, get that application in as soon as you can. Um, again, our, our portal is open uh, online for you to apply now. It's just that one simple step. That's all you have to do or, you know, to get that paper application into your county clerk, because that way then the county clerk can mail it out at the earliest possible date, mail your ballot to you. Then the sooner you get that in the mail, obviously uh, many voters, you know, they already know how they want to vote. They can, they can fill it out super quick and get it back in the mail super quick. Some like to take their time and really research and look at their ballot. Um, another thing you folks will be able to do starting very soon is access a sample ballot online at nmvote.org as well. And I would encourage folks to either do that or again, call your county clerk and ask for one so that you know in advance 
what are the races on my ballot? What are the, who are the candidates that I want to make sure that I research uh, beforehand so that when I do get my ballot, I'll be ready. I'll have made my decision. Um, then the last piece of advice is to just really get that ballot in the mail as soon as you can or no later than a week before election day. If you are waiting after that week before election day, October 27th, there will be locations, any polling location across the state where a voter can go drop that ballot off, just drop it. Um, and of course, we have early voting starting um, October 17th around communities around the state. Many communities, especially our rural communities, your county clerk will provide mobile voting, early voting in those communities. So check out either nmvote.org or your county clerk's website to see when a, a mobile early voting site might be coming to your community to get that vote in early. Um, lastly, for our very far flung rural communities uh, that don't have internet, you are going to, and this is a, just a special handful of people, you are going to have a ballot automatically mailed to you. Um, and that is to make sure that every polling location in the state has internet connectivity. So any voter can go to any polling location in their county uh, and get their ballot cast. So we're, we're kind of doing all of these different things to make sure a voter can cast their ballot. And if you ever aren't sure what your options are, uh, again, visiting our voter portal at nmvote.org or just calling your county clerk directly and getting the scoop straight from the horse's mouth is the best way to get that information. It's really interesting to learn about our more rural communities. Madam Secretary, what about our unsheltered population though? What are the options available for someone who doesn't have a, a permanent address or a mailing address right now? One of the things that I love about our state law is that it does contemplate that we have folks uh, living in places or staying in places without standard addresses. Um, and of course that is largely in tribute to our very rural and tribal communities, but it does apply to our unsheltered population or individuals experiencing homelessness as well. Um, there's two things that a person in, in those conditions can do to make sure that they get a chance to vote. Um, I would encourage anybody listening who has access to a homelessness service provider, no matter where you lay your head at night, you can use that homelessness service provider uh, as your mailing address. Um, a great example in Albuquerque is St. Martin's Hospitality Center. I always use that example because I know that we have a, a great number of unsheltered uh, folks using that as their mailing address. You can uh, either write an address or write a written description or draw a map of where it is that you sleep at night. Um, that is your residence for purposes of where you vote. You can use that uh, service provider as a mailing address uh, for your voter registration. And then just like anybody else, you can request an absentee ballot to be mailed to that um, service provider's address or you can go vote in person, uh, just like anybody else. You won't need to show a physical ID. You'll just need to give uh, a, a few pieces of information about you, your name, your registered name, your birth and address, uh, whichever address you use to the poll worker to vote. And so those are the options for folks who are, you know, in between places now or experiencing homelessness. Right, thank you. And especially in this moment, in the aftermath or while we're still dealing with COVID. Um, seeing yes. so many folks, you know, really having to think about those considerations. That's absolutely right. I'd like to go back to our tribal communities 
And just, you know, reminding listeners that they're sovereign nations, how do you work with tribes and tribal governments in a way that respects tribal sovereignty, but also encourages votership um, for federal or state elections? Thank you for asking that question. Um, Most importantly, it's a partnership. Um, It's incumbent upon me as a state official to understand, acknowledge, and respect tribal sovereignty and to really work to form a strong government-to-government relationship between my office and tribal governments and their communities. We've been working on that extensively since I came into office. Um, as well as we created a task force of leaders in tribal communities from around the state to help advise my office as to how we can better uh, work with in partnership and assist voters in our tribal communities to help get the word out, get information out. And I think more importantly than anything to do that in both a language appropriate and a culturally appropriate way. We have 13 different uh, spoken and sometimes written tribal languages across the state. And even among the tribal communities that share language, there are cultural differences, right? And so we are working really hard to try to craft services, whether it be interpretation and translation services, um, informational outreach programs, working together directly with the tribal governor and their staff or and a council to um, develop materials that are tailored to that community that they can distribute in the way that they think makes sense for their community. We're engaging in all of those kinds of activities and we're all also um, working together with allied organizations such as NEVA EP and other groups that are from and a part of our tribal communities. Because at the end of the day, what's really important for me is that every single voter in the state that wants a voice in our democracy has that voice. We know that our tribal communities are traditionally and historically underrepresented. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that the state either in the past did not acknowledge um, the sovereignty and the unique needs of each community, or it just did not have the political will to do so. So for me, that's been a huge priority and it is not something that is going to be uh, fully addressed overnight. It's a long-term goal and one that I am deeply committed to and really grateful for the partnerships that we've formed thus far to, to start working on that. Thank you so much. And can we have one last reminder of where folks can go for more information and our important upcoming deadlines? Sure. Um, So again, if you have access to the internet, please, please visit nmvote.org. That's nmvote.org. That has statewide information. It has links to your county clerk's office, the portal to register to vote and apply for an absentee ballot application. Uh, If you can't get on the internet, figure out how to get a hold of your local county clerk's office or call my office in Santa Fe, 505-827-3600 and we will get you connected with your local county clerk's office so that they can help you directly. Madam Secretary, is there anything else that you would like to add? Um, I think the last thing I would say, first of all, um, Kateri, and I know Barbara is is their engineering for us today. It's been just a, a real pleasure to work with and talk with you know, young, vibrant women of color doing really important work um, to help get this information out in the state. I'm just really um, proud to be a part of your effort and think that what you guys are doing is just wonderful. 
um, and I'm very supportive of it. Secondly, I just want to say uh, I really hope that every person in the state that's an eligible citizen over the age of 18, or I should say 18 or older, um, really makes an effort to get out and, and make their voice heard in our democracy. I don't know of a year in my lifetime that uh, the impact of government decisions uh, has had such a profound daily influence on our lives. And if that's something that maybe you didn't feel before, even though it was there, please know that as the, the highest election official in the state, I deeply value every person's vote in this state. And if you have never been asked to or invited to, please, I am asking and inviting you to, to participate in this election, cast your ballot. If you have questions or concerns or don't understand the process, do not ever hesitate to ask because at the end of the day, that's what we're here to help with. And there is no such thing, literally, there is no such thing as a stupid question. You will never be shamed um, for getting in, for asking for information that you need uh, to safely and effectively make your voice heard in our democracy. Um, and so with that, I just wanna thank you again for having me today and for helping get this really important information out into our communities. Secretary Tillis Oliver, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us and for giving this incredibly vital information to our community at this moment. And I appreciate all that you and your office are doing to ensure that every person in New Mexico who can vote is able to vote safely and, and easily this year. Well, thank you. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> for Generation Justice, I'm Kateri Zuni.